Last week on HPH, we began the story of Pat Tillman, the man who gave up millions upon millions of dollars and a career in the National Football League to join the Army and serve his country. In that episode, we talked about how Pat was an intelligent, strong-willed, and loyal person, and how the tragic attacks of September 11, 2001 drove him into service. In this episode, we're taking a look at Pat's time as a member of the Army Rangers in both Iraq and Afghanistan, and his untimely and unfortunate death in combat, and the absolutely disgusting way the U.S. government used his service and death as propaganda for their wars. We sincerely hope you aren't an angry drunk, because there are going to definitely be some rage-inducing aspects to this story, but we still think you should grab a drink, settle in, and enjoy this episode of 100 Proof History, titled Pat Tillman Part 2, Not So Proud to Be an American. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Jesus Christ, it's not the end of the world. <sighs> Sorry, Chris. No, that's okay. What's going on? Oh, fucking Wolf Dick. He got banned from those, what are those, food delivery services? Oh. You know, where you put in whatever restaurant and... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those. He got, he got fucking banned, and now he's overreacting. Hold on, he wants me to, he wants me to plug him in. Okay. All right, you're in. So, what's your take on the situation, Wolf Dick? I will eat my neighbors. <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> He's going to eat his neighbors? <laughs> He's overreacting, dude. This is a very small problem, but this dude's going off the deep end. Tell him what you told me. I've extrapolated this out, and I won't have to for a few years since I got food and stuff, but I'm literally looking at my neighbors now and going, I'm ready to hang them up and gut them and skin them and chop them up. You know what? I'm ready. Jesus. Yeah. And he's got this. For those of you that don't know, this is our producer. He's an invalid. He uses a computer to talk. Obviously, he's got a deep fake Alex Jones voice mm -hmm. now. And he sounds a lot like Alex Jones. I don't know. I don't think Alex Jones was ever saying anything so crazy. But uh, eating his neighbors, man, that's crazy. That's. Yeah. I mean. Dude, you're banned from Uber Eats. That's it. <laughs> the point is, is have you thought about that yet? Because I'm somebody that thought I could fix this, and I'm starting to think about having to eat my neighbors. <laughs> Do you not think this is a little overboard? You think I like sizing up my neighbor, how I'm going to haul him up by a chain and chop his ass up? I'll do it. <laughs> I will eat your ass. <laughs> Whoa. He's fucking insane, dude. Yeah, he's he's lost it. I'll, I'll Wait, what was that last part, though? I will eat your ass. <laughs> I don't think he knows what that means, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> that is a bit of an extreme reaction to getting banned from Uber Eats. My superpower is being honest. I'll eat your ass. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he does know what it means. Hey, I'm unplugging him. I'm unplugging him. <laughs> oh, He's going off the fucking deep end, man, so I'm sorry if we get interrupted anymore. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, you know, he's a producer of the show, I guess, and the benefactor, so I guess we got to let him speak mm. his piece. It's, it, you know, that's certain. the important part. The yeah. financier, if you will. <laughs> anyway, we are... Uh, 
We're back, Chris, with the second and final part of our Pat Tillman story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's going to have a little bit of a sad ending, in case you haven't caught on. What? From, from the last, you know, episode and the beginning of this episode where I said he has untimely death. Uh, yeah, it's not going to be, it's not a happy story. You know, just want you guys to know that. It's not going to be all sunshine and giggles. You know, it's not like Hitler killing himself where we can all just laugh our asses off. And this is a a good guy, you know, because he's from America. Yeah, good point. And as we said in the introduction to the last episode, uh, this is definitely, you you might hear us saying some maybe subversive things, um, but this is certainly a case of support the troops not necessarily the war. And um, I think that that was more apropos to the last episode with the war in Iraq. Um, I think the war in Afghanistan was probably a, a, a good thing, for at least for a while. You know what I mean? At least the original mission. But uh, just in case you hear us say something, that's what's up. Yep. Like I served, so I can definitely relate and I have my own bitter feelings about certain things. But, uh, you know, it's not a case of just two keyboard warriors talking shit. We we hope you guys understand that. But our source again, for you guys who want to read along at home, is Where Men Win Glory, The Odyssey of Pat Tillman by John Krakauer. Very good book. Pick it up. Read it. Learn a little bit more about his life than we're going to tell you here. Well, Christopher, are you ready to jump into the second and final part of this story? Uh, yeah, we better get going because... It seems like Wolf Dick is sneaking up behind you with a tape measure real quick. And he, he's staring at that ass. Sizing me up, dude. <laughs> Let's do it. On March 20th, 2003, at 5.30 a.m. in Iraq, three dozen American Tomahawk cruise missiles were launched from ships in the Persian Gulf and Red Sea towards the city of Baghdad. 30 miles outside of Iraq in neighboring Saudi Arabia was Pat Tillman, who had quit professional football to enlist in the army. That morning, he wrote in his journal, quote, Well, the war has certainly begun. My heart goes out to those who will suffer. Whatever your politics, whatever you believe is right or wrong, the fact is most of those who will feel the wrath of this ordeal want nothing more than to live peacefully, end quote. Meanwhile, in 2003, an adult, Chris from Hunter Proof History, was jamming out to bombs over Baghdad by Outcast, just dancing around, you know, just firing my guns in the air. Yeah, America! And watching the bombs crash on CNN. He's like, yeah! Woo! Yeah! Shock and awe, baby. Shock and awe, followed by, was it Hearts and Minds when we were dropping Pop-Tarts from planes? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I just know that I was fresh out of basic training when this happened. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to load up game of Counter-Strike, and I'm going to be like, yeah, go America, woo, on the chat, and then, you know, shoot some people with some AWP sniper rifles and say, take that, Saddam Hussein. Meanwhile, you're, you know, you're actually serving in the military and, you know, doing something worthwhile. Well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I was also playing Counter-Strike in my free time. <laughs> Well, in something of a contradictory tone, Pat was also upset that because he was one of the newest members of the Army Rangers in the 75th Regiment, he was treated like shit and forced to do things like fill sandbags and guard parked Humvees. 
As someone who had worked his ass off to prove his worth, and who had been rewarded for it his whole life, Pat struggled to come to terms with the idea that in the military, seniority greatly outrules merit. In regards to that, he would write of him and his brother Kevin, quote, Realize we're not normal privates. Break the fucking rules and put us in a position to add value. Fuck this place. End quote. Sounds like a love letter I wrote to my wife before we got married. Yeah? Well, we saved ourselves for marriage. Oh, okay. But I wanted to warn her. So I said, quote, realize I don't have normal privates, end quote. <laughs> P.S. Fuck this place. <laughs> she was sitting across from me. We were, uh, we were at a Denny's. I remember <laughs> it like it was yesterday. I ordered moons over my hammy. <laughs> you slipped her that note. She slipped a note to the waitress saying, please help me call 911. You know. But the marriage went off without a hitch. I left a big tip so she didn't call 911. <laughs> Here we are now. And boy, was that moons over my hammy good. Man, they still make that? That is a good fucking sandwich. I have no idea. That didn't really happen, Chris. I, that might <laughs> shock you. It might awe you. It never really happened. It was made up. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> I do have disappointingly normal privates. <laughs> <laughs> My mom says they're disappointingly average. So, <laughs> Well, Pat and Kevin were finally sent on their first mission on March 31st as a massive group of Marines, Rangers, Green Berets, Delta Force operators, Navy SEALs, and Air Force pararescue jumpers who were all sent to rescue one person, a 19-year-old soldier named Jessica Lynch who had been captured eight days earlier and was being held prisoner in a hospital in the city of An Naziria. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you can learn all about Jessica Lynch and the Battle of Naziria in our award-winning, patented Hangover mini-episodes right now. If you're a cheap fuck who thinks $3 is too much to pay for hours upon hours of award-winning edutainment, then just know that the story of Jessica Lynch and that battle featured two things that will also come up in the story of Pat Tillman. Propaganda and governmental cover-up. And now you're like, oh, cover-up, huh? All right, well, I'm in. I'm going to go pay you $3 right now to listen to that shit. Triple-digit hours of entertainment. So many hours. Like... 1.00 hours. <laughs> That's three digits, baby. No, three digits to the left of the decimal worth of entertainment. <laughs> But as far as Pat Tillman's involvement in her rescue goes, it was very minimal, and the whole thing went off without a hitch. But since he had played in the NFL, where he was constantly around the media, Pat was well aware that the rescue was a public relations stunt. He wrote that he was glad to do his part, but he said it screamed of media blitz, and he wondered why there was no effort made to rescue the other five members of her convoy that had also been captured. Because they weren't smoking hot, okay? Get it through your head, Pat. Some of us still subscribe to Jessica Lynch's OnlyFans, you know? That doesn't exist, does it? No, it doesn't. She's like a teacher now. Oh, okay. So, yes, she does have an OnlyFans because she's making <laughs> teacher money. Come on. <laughs> we all got to survive, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to do what you got to do, man. Pat and Kevin would spend the following five weeks in Iraq. They were mostly uneventful, with Pat saying he only fired his weapon once, and those were warning shots to keep cars away from the airport he was stationed at. And you know what? I have a problem with this. I have a big fucking problem with him doing this. 
because I did this. And then I had to get in my car on January 2nd and drive to Washington, D.C. because I was on the no-fly list, and I barely made it for January 6th. This is horse shit. Makes him a great American. Makes me wanted by the FBI. Okay, fair. Two systems of justice in this country. That's all I'm saying. Just because I sent Snapchats of me taking the shit on Pelosi's desk <laughs> over the course of 30 different Snapchats of me posing with the shit after I took it. And <laughs> I completely identifying myself and saying my social in one of them even. Just because I did that. Now I'm some sort of fucking idiot traitor. And this guy's an American hero. Yeah. Okay? Talk about double standards. I wonder if we'll get another bad review for being too woke. <laughs> too woke. <laughs> I think that followed an episode that involved slavery. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, all right, I've had it with these guys. Yeah, no. They're they're too fucking lib. (laughs) (laughs) All right, see ya. And immediately followed a review that gave us five stars for being edgy and not worrying about cancel culture. And I'm like, oh, no. They were right next to each other. It was a nice little juxtaposition. I'm terrified of cancel culture. That's why I use a fake name. <laughs> They'll never know I'm Zach Efron now. <laughs> <laughs> On April 30th, Pat helped carry a wounded member of Delta Force to a medevac helicopter, and that was the first person he had ever seen that had been shot. A day later, President George Bush, sorry, President George W. Bush, stood on an aircraft carrier in San Diego beneath a giant banner that read, Mission Accomplished! And he declared the end of major combat operations in Iraq. So crazy. It's so great that the war ended after like a month. Man, that was, that was great. And on the coast of San Diego, no less. <laughs> yeah. Until doing research for this story, I don't know if I knew it at the time, and it's just how the mind works. I completely, like, I thought that aircraft carrier was in the Persian Gulf. Yeah, I think I did too. Yeah. San Diego. Well, I mean, he flew across the country, you know, so that's kind of honorable, right? You know, just going to that hellhole of San Diego and suffering through the perfect days and nights while standing on a aircraft carrier in the beautiful Pacific Ocean. Oh, man, that is a wartime president right there. With what I hear is an excellent ratio of women to men. Really? Yeah, not a lot of women, tons of dudes. <laughs> no, but seriously, the opposite. Apparently, there's just beautiful ladies everywhere. Mm. Is that true? Or is that like, like you know, back I've in the... I've heard that from a few friends. It's not like the back in the middle of the 19th century where people are like suffering in some hellhole in Indiana. They're like, hey, just go to California. Everything's going to be fucking great. Man, it's, <laughs> there's women. There's gold. There's golden women. <laughs> with their bronzer. They're on that beach working out. Out there, you know, in their bikinis, just dancing in the sand, playing volleyball. And these are all things we know uh, that exist in 1850. These are things we we understand. So let's go. Over there playing volleyball in the volleyball court. Just left all their all their men behind. Easy pickings. <laughs> yeah. Those men are bored. You go chat them up. You never know. Taking Bedini's get a moons over my hammy. 
Oh, and then, uh, and then prospect for gold. I'll be digging for gold in those buttholes, you know what I mean? <laughs> Wait, that was too, uh, that was, oh, I'm sorry, I, I meant to make a pun or something there. I just, I just said what I was going to do. He ate the Ferrero Rochers, but he ate the foil too, so <laughs> it's more of a medical procedure than it is a sexual thing. Bring my friend here in his gimp suit. He's a, he's a well-known podcast producer, and he told me he was going to go down there and do something those guys too, you know. My superpower is being honest. I'll eat your ass. I will. <laughs> we know. Yeah. You said that exact thing earlier this episode. Exact same tone and everything. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Same pauses. Weird. Yeah. Been thinking about it a lot, I guess. It's been saying it in the mirror. <laughs> Build the confidence, you know? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, you don't want to walk up to the wrong guy in the bar and say that. You know, you got to have it prepared and you got to pick the right guy because could end badly. You know, say it with confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, even if you're like, no, I'm 100% straight, I'm a married man, but you come up and hear that, he's like, shit, now I'm thinking about it, you know? Now I'm like, huh. my, my wife won't do that, you know? And there's no real STD risk of that, so. Close my eyes and think of my wife. What if I did that? That's not even <laughs> cheating. <laughs> like, mm -mm. That's my wife's penis in my mouth. Mm. <laughs> It's a slippery slope, Chris. It really is. Well, during his free time, Pat, Kevin, and a couple other rangers would openly talk about how the Iraq war was blatant imperialism that was doing long-term damage to the reputation of the United States. This was incredibly rare at a time when 79% of the American public, including yours truly, and 95% of the military believed the war was justified. So, denouncing the president and the war was practically looked upon as treason. But Pat was never someone who missed an opportunity to speak his mind. And of course, it didn't help that he was married and just left behind the opportunity to earn a fortune just to be sent to fight in a war he believed was unjust. And that, that's one of the things that stood out to me, because, you know, all this comes from his journals and stuff, um, is, like, he was... One of the very few people in the military who said, no, this is fucking bullshit. We shouldn't be here right now, you know? Like, America, like, the public fucking was, we were all about it. We we bought into the, the lies sold by the administration that we had to do this. Otherwise, nukes were going to start flying at any fucking second. You know, and then, of course, the military is being told this, so they're, let's fucking go. For sure, yeah. Well, after their five weeks in Iraq, Pat and Kevin were sent back to the States to finish up their ranger training. Up to this point, they were privates, or noogs, as they were called, this new guy, and they still had to earn their ranger tabs. On November 28th, 2003, they both did so and were promoted to the rank of specialist. A month later, Pat's football agent called him and told him that because he had served overseas, the Cardinals could pull some strings to get him an honorable discharge and he could play NFL football again. Other teams, such as the five-time Super Bowl champion, Dallas Cowboys, <laughs> expressed interest as well, but Pat shot the offer down. He told them that he had enlisted for three years and he was not going back on his word. In March of 2004, Pat and Kevin Tillman received word that they were going to be deployed to Afghanistan to take part in Operation Mountain Storm, which is my favorite brand of knockoff soda. You know, 
<laughs> I ain't paying for Mountain Dew. That's fucking horse shit. <laughs> What's a little dew compared to a storm? <laughs> they and the rest of the rangers would be tasked with eliminating pockets of Taliban resistance from the small villages in the mountains. They landed at forward operating base Salerno near the city of Coast on April 14th. I spent two years at FOB Salerno. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. You didn't know that, Chris. I didn't. You've never talked to me about your service. I mean, we don't talk about personal matters. You know, we just sit down, knock out this amazing podcast, and then do not speak, as per my contract. Strictly business. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it. it's funny researching this, because I was like, oh, holy shit. Because it, it's a very small place. Mm-hmm. As in the name of FOB, is, it's a forward operating base, so it's not even like a full base. It's kind of like an outpost from a base sort of thing. Okay. But yeah, I mean, the runway was gravel, if that says anything. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, on 420, better known as Greg's favorite day of the year, you know, because... Blaze it. Oh, I meant because uh, of your devotion to Hitler. But no, it's not. It's because of Columbine, <laughs> you piece of shit. <laughs> well, on that day, after futilely driving all over the mountains. Futilely. Like, futilely. Futile sounds like Ziegheil. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> after futilely driving all over the mountains looking for Taliban insurgents, one of the Humvees belonging to the Tillman Brothers platoon broke down. The unit mechanic spent the next two days requesting parts from nearby Fob Salerno, but he couldn't get it started, so on the 22nd, it was hooked up to another Humvee, and the company began to tow it towards the village of Mana, which was the last village they needed to clear before heading back to Salerno. That morning, after traveling just five miles, the front suspension of the broken-down Humvee shattered, making it impossible to tow with another Humvee. The leader of Tillman's platoon, First Lieutenant David Uthlot, sent a request to his commander for the Humvee to be airlifted out by Chinook helicopter, but his request was denied. Major David Hodney then ordered Uthlot to split his platoon in two, send half on to Mana to clear the village, while the other half escorted an Afghan citizen who had agreed to pull the damaged Humvee to a nearby paved road so that it could be picked up by U.S. Army wrecker. That decision was going to prove to be very fateful. And that's what we call gravitas. So we call leaving them wanting more. Like, how is it fateful? Like, what is the secret of mana? <laughs> it was a video game on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> well, we're going to go play that real quick. And uh, you guys, I don't know, do whatever you want to. We'll be back here in a second after this break. You see you in 45 hours after we finish that game. Goodbye. <laughs> All right, we are back from break. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you refreshed your drinks because this second half, it kind of it's kind of a downer. But um, we have gained quite a few new listeners. Um, we're we're growing exponentially, and we do appreciate all of you new listeners. Something you guys might not know, 
Um, we kind of just launch into this every week. We do a bit in the second half where we have a seltzer to kind of like, you know, refresh ourselves after drinking whiskey for the first half of the show. And uh, because we have gotten so popular, we're getting advertising opportunities. And by that, I mean we're blackmailing companies into giving us money so we don't advertise their product. <laughs> the American way. And, uh, you know, since we do this segment every episode, might as well cash in because I am 100% in this for the fucking money. Like, if that dries up, I am done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that being said, we do have a fake sponsor for this bit. And I would ask Wolf Dick, I know you're starving. I know you're hangry. And you've been staring at Greg's ass all day, but... I will eat your ass! <laughs> okay, buddy, okay. Just We get it. Just calm down. Why don't you just go ahead and play this commercial for everybody? If you're thirsty, grab a white claw. Don't forget it's against the law to put rupees in a girl's drink at a sorority party. White Claw used to be so popular, now our rep is in the gutter. Because you stupid rich white frat boys just can't behave. White Claw. Seltzer tastes good. White Claw, don't do date rape, just drink it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, they say there are no laws with White Claws, but they were very adamant that there is a law against doing that. So we had to put that in the copy. Um, you know, I don't make the copy. I don't make this stuff up. It just comes to me from the, the companies okay. directly. Fair enough. So, thank you for playing that wolf dick. <laughs> My superpower is being honest. I'll eat your ass. <laughs> I will. I know. Nobody's questioning your honesty. Well, after you do that, maybe you should wash it down with a little something we like to call the second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. All right, three, two, one, pop. Stops. Mmm, delicious. Moving on. All right. Well, we have a second half of this story to tell, and there is only one person that I would trust in the world to tell you how this thing concludes. And that person is not available. It's my dad. You know, he, he's not here. So, Greg, can you do it? All right, fine. Lieutenant David Uthlot received his new orders at 4 p.m. and replied to command that he had serious objections to the idea of splitting his platoon and clearing out a village at night was a blatant violation of standard operating procedures. Major David Hodney said, Too bad. So sad. I'm your military dad. Go do it anyway. End very real quote. <laughs> the platoon was split into two groups, Serial 1, which would clear mana, and Serial 2, which would follow Serial 1 to a fork in the road and then turn right and tow the damaged Humvee to a paved highway, preparing it for extraction. The platoon left at 6 p.m. Pat Tillman was in the second vehicle of Serial 1. His brother was at the very tail end of the convoy in Serial 2. After about two miles, they reached the fork in the road and split up, but just a few minutes later, the Afghan truck driver realized the path back to the highway was a dangerous and hard-to-navigate mountain pass, and he convinced Sergeant Eric Godick in Serial 2 that they could follow Serial 1 through a canyon and into Mana, 
where they'd find a safer route to the highway. So, Serial 2 turned around, putting them approximately 15 minutes behind Serial 1. That's why I always check ways before I escort a Humvee back to the highway. You know? Because it has a little frowny face. It's like, no, it's a mountain pass. People died, Chris. I'm sorry. I'll stop. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Serial 1 made it through the narrow canyon pass that led to Mana without any incidents. However, as they made their way through the canyon, Taliban insurgents rushed to the hills above the canyon and got into position. As Serial 2 entered the area, they came under fire from mortars and small arms. They pressed through the canyon, shooting up at Taliban fighters who wore distinguishable robes that the Americans called, quote, gray man dresses. The enemy fire soon died off, but the rangers in Serial 2 kept firing at enemy positions, both real and imagined. I don't know why it's important for you to note that these guys had baby arms and they were shooting at them with their deformed arms. Oh, small arms. Yeah, small arms fire. <laughs> Hilarious. I'm proud of it. I don't care. For anybody that doesn't know what that means, it means things that aren't large like rockets and mortars, missiles, bombs, stuff like that. It's It's bullets shot from... What you think of when you think of guns. It's not a guy running around with tiny baby arms. Just it's, well, shooting I mean, revolvers. It could be. Okay. But that's not what the name means. Okay. That'd be small arms, small arms squared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I've, small arms squared. I've tickled myself by picturing a guy in a robe with two tiny arms and revolvers just thinking he's helping the, the cause. You know, but he can't aim because he's got T-Rex arms. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, up ahead, the soldiers in the Serial 1 Division of the Platoon realized that the soldiers in the Serial 2 Division of the Platoon had followed them, and they rushed up the hills to gain the high ground and provide support to Serial 2 as it exited the canyon. Alongside Pat Tillman was Syed Farad, a member of the Afghan military forces, who was dressed in a version of the American BDU, or battle dress uniform, indicating that he was friendly. Like, he's wearing the same uniform, basically. Yeah, not wearing the gray man dresses that the Taliban wore. Well, definitely not that, yeah. Now, to the spooked men in the Humvees in Serial 2, he just looked like an Afghan. You know, he got that brown skin. Sergeant Greg Baker fired upon Farad from about 65 yards away and hit him twice in the chest, instantly killing him. Men shouted, cease fire. The radio comms were clogged and useless. Pat Tillman waved frantically at the soldiers below, but it was all to no avail, and they kept firing at his position. In one of the Humvees down below in the canyon, Specialist Trevor Alders was supposed to be watching the left side of the vehicle with his saw-light machine gun, but he feared he was missing out on the action, so he swung over to the right side of the vehicle. He spotted two hands in the air behind a small rock and opened fire. The person he was shooting at was Pat Tillman. Pat was struck three times in the face by the Saul's .223 caliber rounds, killing him instantly. The shooting subsided shortly thereafter, having lasted for 14 minutes. In that time span, not only had the Rangers killed Syed Farad and Pat Tillman, they had also seriously wounded Lieutenant David Uthlot with a 40-millimeter grenade. And not to be uh, gruesome, I mean, it's, it's kind of upsetting to think about, but 
it is mentioned in the book and it did happen. Those three rounds, I mean, they completely obliterated Pat Tillman's head. There, there was not much left once he got hit by those three. Pat Tillman was stripped, and all of his possessions were taken off of his body, which was flown back to the United States. Standard operating procedure dictated that his clothing, armor, and belongings were to be sent back with him, but instead they were placed in a barrel at Fob Salerno and burned. An armed forces medical examiner refused to sign the autopsy report until the Army Criminal Investigation Division investigated Pat's death, but General Stanley McChrystal squashed the entire thing. In place of the investigation, McChrystal had Pat Tillman nominated for a Silver Star based on a false narrative that made it sound like Tillman was killed by enemy fire and two witness statements from Rangers who claim they never actually wrote a statement for the award nomination. A Navy SEAL was asked to speak at Pat Tillman's funeral, and he was shocked when he later found out that the story they asked him to tell was completely fabricated. Also, several high-ranking members of the U.S. government attended Pat's funeral and spoke about how he sacrificed himself for his country, and how he was, quote, with God and in heaven now, end quote, which might have scored more political points if it wasn't for the blunt honesty of Pat's younger brother, Richard. And you will see him again when a loving God reunites us all with the loved ones who preceded us in death. The contrast to the memorial service should have been a warning shot to the military. You got people out there sort of speaking in these glittering generalities. Pat, your family doesn't have to worry anymore. You are home, you are safe, and you will not be forgotten. And then you've got a brother coming up there, somebody who's willing to speak the brutality of that reality for them. He was always given gifts. Thanks, Pat. Uh, I didn't write shit, because uh, I'm not a writer. And um, I just want to say it was, there's a lot of people here, thanks. Um, it was really amazing to be his uh, little baby brother. Uh, yeah, I'm not just going to sit up here and break down on you, but uh, thanks for coming. Pat's a fucking champion, and uh, always will be. Uh, just make no mistake, he'd want me to say this. He's not with God, he's fucking dead. He's not religious, so thanks for your thoughts, but he's fucking dead. Um, I, I don't regret any of that. I, you know, as far as what I was thinking, I, I was just simply miserable. You know, I was, you know, I was, I was sad for my, my whole family. I was sad for my mom, my dad, Marie, Kevin. This isn't a production. It's my brother's service. I didn't plan on saying that. It just, uh, he's not what these people wished he was. Everyone grabbed at Pat's death. Not necessarily just the military. Everybody grabbed at him. They just chose the wrong family to try to do it in front of. Pretty fucking sad. Yeah. Yeah, and you know he's up there drinking a beer, toasting his brother. Yeah, that's it, that's the worst thing, man, about this whole thing. They lost their brother. You know, his mom lost a son, and the whole government decided, all right, well, this is our opportunity to sell 
you know, patriotism to sell this fucking war. You know, like this guy was a hero. He gave up everything to go fight and he got killed and you know, they're lying about how he died and they're talking about how he, you know, he's he's in heaven now. He's with Jesus and you know, it I mean, it took balls for his brother to get up there and do that cuz my meek ass would been like, "Oh, this isn't right, but I don't want to upset anybody." But he got up there and you know, he told the truth, and that was pretty fucking impressive. Agreed. Kevin Tillman wasn't told his brother was killed by friendly fire until May 24th, and that's about a month after he had died. His parents weren't told until May 28th, because that was the Friday before Memorial Day, and the Bush administration figured the story would die out over the long holiday weekend. Later, the White House would feign ignorance about the nature of Pat's death, but an investigation would show that they sent some 200 emails concerning Pat Tillman on the day after his death all of which they refused to release to the public, citing executive privilege. It's the same thing I do with my text messages with my wife. and It uh, doesn't work for me, again. Executive privilege delete! <laughs> <sighs> again, it does not work for me. And I'm like, lady, I am giving oral sex to high-ranking executives. Executive <laughs> privilege. But she doesn't buy it, again, two justice systems in this fucking country. Swear to God. So what if it's under the table at a Waffle House at 3.30 a.m.? And I got arrested. And he's coked out of his fucking mind. He doesn't even know where he is anymore. Doesn't matter. He was the CEO of Donnie's Dry Cleaners and Fried Chicken. Okay? And he said, yeah, I filed Chapter 11, but Chapter 12 is you sucking these nuts. And I'm like, well, you know what? That sounds like a great story, and I want to read it, okay? Why am I telling you this? You saw the text. You saw what I typed. Okay, I, I thought I was being sexy. So what? <laughs> Pat Tillman's wife, Marie, his mother, Danny, and his brother, Kevin, all hounded the government for information and investigations. Eventually, the full truth of what occurred came out, but very little was done to the men involved. Sergeant Greg Baker and Specialist Trevor Alders were kicked out of the Rangers and sent to the regular-ass army. Nothing was done to the man who ordered the mission, Major David Hodney, and the men who worked to cover up the way Pat died, including General Stanley McChrystal, were all quietly promoted to higher ranks in the coming years. In the end, Pat Tillman was a person who strongly believed in loyalty and honor and became a pawn for men who had no such beliefs. Unfortunately, this is one of those stories from history where things just, they kind of suck, and there isn't really a moral to be found. So we can only hope that you came away from this with respect for Pat Tillman, and a complete and utter distrust of the U.S. government. Also, go Cowboys! Woo! End of story. I wasted my good woo on the go Cowboys, but still, woo! We did it! Told that story. Told the story of Pat Tillman, hopefully the way Pat would have liked. And hopefully the way you liked. Hopefully you learned something about Pat and the American government and the way they treated their soldiers during this time of history. But just in case you didn't, just in case you're like, oh, I feel like that's a really good story, but maybe there are like some things missing. Well, we got some things for you right here, and we call them the Fast Facts. <laughs> Fastback number one. In 2001, the Department of Defense created the Office of Strategic Influence, 
which was tasked with running false news stories to drive up support for an invasion of Iraq. When the press found out in late 2002, Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld said, quote, Oh my goodness gracious, isn't that terrible? Any penny, the sky is going to fall. Fine, if you want to savage this thing, fine, I'll give you the corpse. There's the name, you can have the name, but I'm going to keep doing every single thing that needs to be done, and I have, end quote. Because obviously he was Robert Smith from The Cure. Three months later, the U.S. invaded Iraq with the majority of the American public supporting the war. Fast Fact Number Two On the day he was killed, Pat Tillman had a conversation with a fellow ranger about how strange the men of Afghanistan were to him. In the rural areas, they often saw men wearing flowers in their hair, eyeshadow made from soot, and they would often be seen holding hands. At most Afghan militia outposts, a young boy would serve as a cook and as a sex slave for the fighters. Pat was fascinated by the acceptance of this behavior by Islamic men who outwardly claimed that homosexuality was a crime punishable by death. Fast Fact Number 3 Typically, Lieutenant David Uthlot would hold a fragmentary order, or frago brief, with the rangers before a mission to remind them to only go where their team leader goes and to only shoot when their team leader shoots. They would also be reminded to, quote, PID their targets, end quote, meaning they needed to positively identify their targets as enemy combatants before shooting. However, due to the rush nature of Pat Tillman's last mission, this briefing was unfortunately skipped. I was giving all the girls in, in high school that PID target, you know, giving that <laughs> pelvic inflammatory disease. You know? <laughs> You'd see them shuffling around the hallways, grabbing at the crotches. <laughs> that was Great me. time. <laughs> Fast Fact Number 4 Before deploying to Iraq, Pat filled out a form documenting his preferences for funeral arrangements should he die in combat. He clearly indicated he did not want a religious ceremony orchestrated by either a chaplain or a civilian minister. On the final line of the document, which is reserved for, quote, special instructions, Pat wrote in big block letters, quote, I do not want the military to have any direct involvement with my funeral, end quote. All right, well, that does it. That is the end of our Pat Tillman series. Hope you enjoyed it. We thank you for listening. We hope you are thinking, maybe I should subscribe to this 100 Proof History. Maybe I should just listen to this show all the damn time. And you are right, you should do that. But in the meantime, you should also go to our website, HunterProofHistory.com, where you can find bios on all of us, including our starving-to-death invalid producer, Wolf Dick, and, you know, me and Greg. You can also find a link to our Patreon, where just $3 a month gets you access to 39 old episodes, 60-something sweet-ass mini-episode hangovers, like we talked about earlier in this episode, and it gives you early access to new episodes, so you can be ahead of the curve. You can tell your friends, hey, you hear what's on 100 Proof History this week? And they're like, no, I, I don't subscribe to the Patreon. You're like, oh, oh man, you're going to love it. By, by the time you get there, I'm going to move on to something else, because uh, 
I got two days ahead of you, you stupid fuck. You can also find us on social media at 100ProofHistory, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We do it all, and we do it well. And we hope you subscribe to all that as well. Thank you for listening. For myself, your sexy co-host Christopher, for Dan Dan the Intro Man, for the starving invalid producer, Wolf Dick, we appreciate your patronage and listening, and we ask, sexy best host, probably... I don't think there could ever be a better podcast host. I, I honestly believe that. I like. I go to sleep thinking about it, and I wake up thinking about it, and I, I just can't find an answer. It's just him. And we ask him, Greg, what else? I will say one thing. I do not like Wolf Dick's name being drugged through the mud. I do have the exact quote. Mm-hmm. He's, not, he's not starving to death, okay? Uh, okay. He just can't order Uber Eats anymore. <laughs> That's it. And here's the quote. I've extrapolated this out, mm-hmm. and I won't have to for a few years since I got food and stuff, but I'm literally looking at my neighbors now and going, I'm ready to hang them up and gut them and skin them and chop them up. You know what? I'm ready. See? He's got food for years. <laughs> that said, I think the son of a bitch has talked me into it. <laughs> Let's do it. We're going to go get some lawn chairs on the front porch and start scoping out the neighbors. <laughs> Size them up. We're going to fucking eat them, baby. <laughs> so, yeah, the next time you guys hear me, I'll be a certified cannibal. Yes. Goodbye. Bye. Bombs over Outcast? Bombs over Baghdad. You say bombs bombs over Outcast. Oh, shit. (laughs) I mean, I was half paying attention because I was reading something, but I'm almost certain you said bombs over Outcast. Want me to redo that shit? But it was a good one. It was a good joke, but I was like, ah, we got to go back. It's like lost, dude. We gotta go back. Yeah. <laughs> They're all dead, just like me, inside. And part of my outside. My <laughs> my anus is no longer holding shit out. <laughs> it's brown and gray, and <laughs> I can't feel it. <laughs> dude, your chair is so fucking noisy. It's getting worse and worse and worse. It's because I'm getting fatter. Is it a wooden chair? It is a wooden chair. Is it a fucking assembly-built chair? Yeah, I can tighten it up. Yeah, get the fucking Allen head out. That shit is getting bad. Like, you just doing that was... Like, the fuck? Is he in a rocking chair? <laughs> I was doing this. Old, my old granddad's rocking chair? I do the podcast from the front porch of a Cracker Barrel restaurant every week. Yeah, one that's been shut down since the 80s. <laughs> so every wooden slat, the nails are backing out of his... <laughs> Where's my cursor? I'm the cursor. Fuck shit. Pussy cunt. It's <laughs> the worst superpower. <laughs> That's a Duke Nukem era joke. I mean, it's not really, but it, I just sounded like Duke Nukem. It sounds like something he would say. Where's my cursor? I'm the cursor. That's Starbucks. Yes, sir. Can I help you? I want a goddamn pussy fart coffee, motherfucker. Put a nipple tassel in it. <laughs>